Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning and let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. All right. So welcome, Natasha Nelson. Hello. Hello. Thank you for having me, Vita. Okay, so I was gushing before we hit record, and so I got to start really gushing now. (laughs) You are beyond an inspiration. You are beyond a motivation. You are someone I aspire to be like in a lot of ways. It's not just about, I'm not saying you're perfect. This is what happens with people who are amazing. They start shaking their head and start trying to tell you, nah. She's shaking her head and telling you, nah. Megula, Megula, girl. You are, but that's what... And this is what I find amazing about you. Because you are a regular, smegular girl, you real as fuck. We can cuss on here. I know you probably don't. It's not your brand, but I can cuss. So I cuss. I just have kids. So I'm Natasha Poppins when they're around, but they at school. Oh, right oh, okay. 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 You like me too. I, why do I reference myself as Mary Poppins too? That's one other thing. Because um, I was actually a nanny and I loved being a nanny. But um, it's the fact that you are someone who's regular and keeps it real and and I think that's something that's needed in a lot of this space of positive parenting and content so I think sometimes it gets really unrealistic in a lot of ways it becomes this you know people start to assume and in fact it becomes for black people we start to just dismiss it and shut it down because we see it as you know we don't like stuff that's quote-unquote nice we like sincerity and authenticity and mm-hmm. white people talk about things in a very inauthentic way and so when that happens I think black people shut down so when they hear positive parenting or positive discipline or non-violent parenting they all automatically shut down because they hear all oh, these white folks being nice again which mm-hmm. is i think for us comes across as insincere so with you when i notice how you are and how you interact with your daughter because i watch your videos it's very sincere very real very effective but it's not fake nice <laughs> it's it's very sincere and it's yeah, a beautiful thing to see so that's what I admire about you. So yeah, you're regular degular, but your approach isn't. Your approach is something that we need in our communities. And that's something that I, when I first started learning this content around nonviolent parenting, positive discipline, and I think you and I, because we have this, we have the same methods, just different terminology sometimes. Um, because a lot of things you say, I'm like, that's the same thing I do, but I have a different word. Yeah, we've seen <laughs> um, it a couple of times. Yeah. Uh, I think that's because uh, the nonviolent language and communication movement is kind of, I think the basis of it is from the same psychologists uh, that positive discipline and positive parenting are based off of right. uh, Adler and Drakers. So, yeah. Right. And I think um, because of that, we have a lot of the same concepts. And so mm-hmm. when I would see you talk about them, I was like, oh, shit, this is the same stuff I'm learning. And I want to do what she's doing. I want to educate more people. And this mm-hmm. is a field I kind of fell into. But I see you. Same. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about how you, because you're saying you fell into it. I so fell into this, let's yeah. talk about Supernova Mama, what it is, Okay. how you fell into this work. So Supernova Mama, in essence, is a positive discipline education resource. Uh, I put it in those in those massive, you know, bland terms because it's so many things. Um it's, it's me and what I showcase and demonstrate with my children. It's me and how I network and give out information to the masses in public. It's also me and how I research and and, and network with other um, advocates of, you know, auti- for autism, for neurodiversity, for black families, for, for uh, women um, in learning more information so that I can be more empathetic to other cultures. And then it's in how I educate. So my classes, my my um, I have six week courses now, so I have workshops and then uh, I do public speaking. It's incorporated in all of that. Um, initially, I was trying to put myself into a box because I was told I need to. And there really isn't. A, it's just not going to work in keeping <laughs> right. the authenticity that I want to keep. It just doesn't match up. Um, and so 
I'm just going to be the first person to do what I do and we'll just see how it goes. So <laughs> can make a break, right? But I'm going to stand in it. So yes, at the, at the basis of levels, it is a positive discipline education resource, your pure resource for anything positive discipline. Um, and I started it uh, because initially I was positive parenting my family and my children and I was a mom blogger and everybody kept asking me uh, for advice on what I do with my children. And I'm not, I'm not a type of person who's not comfortable giving advice if I don't have some type of certification or credentials to back myself up or at least some, you know, something. And so I went and I said, well, maybe I should get certified. And then I got certified. Um, and so now here we are. Uh, and that all started from people came to my page because at first I was a mom, but I had like 400 followers, y'all. That's <laughs> and, a lot and, for a blog. Yeah. Uh, and then I, um, and I was mostly exclusively on Instagram. Twitter was just kind of where I had fun with my friends. Um, and then I posted a video dancing with my two daughters. Uh, I'm from Northwest Georgia. Twerking is, I, I, we don't even really call it twerking when I grew up. We called it booty shaking. And booty shaking is way alive. No euphemisms, it's a straight up booty shaking. <laughs> it's booty shaking. Yeah, we call it booty shaking. And so um, I I use and still use, I do a lot of booty shaking workouts to um, when I'm with my kids uh, so that I'm dancing with them, but I'm still working out to lose weight. Um, and that was caught on camera by my husband. My husband just happened to be peeping in on the nanny can to see what he was doing because he was hearing a whole bunch of jumping and saw me dancing. He sent it to me with, you know, a little comment that husband sent. <laughs> I saw the video and thought it was hilarious and posted it on my Twitter. Not on my Instagram because that's my mom. That was my blog page. I posted it on my Twitter, which is my, you know, hang out with my friends laugh page. Uh, and then Oprah found it and uh, wow. <laughs> what? magazine and um and what is that 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 place that I didn't know that everybody was really nervous about me saying yeah to because I didn't know any better um the shade room oh, yeah. posted and I said yeah and then when I told Twitter they were like you know you should have said no that's when the that's when the ever the trolls I know you got a lot of heat for that. <laughs> Look at this horrible mom. I was very surprised because everybody made the shade room sound so negative or what they do so negative. But when they posted it, they posted it in a positive light. Oh, you know, okay, they, yeah. So they posted it. They have some type of mom Mondays that they do, I guess, once a month or something. And they posted it in a positive light. And then, of course, you had the many people you had. Oh. Um, and, and so it went, but it got over 5 million views at the time. And so then wow. that's when my page got all of the people who came and asked for advice because they saw all these posts I've been doing for three years of how I take care of my family. Um, and so that's what started this. That's really dope. So you kind of just was doing a thing, you know, mommy blogging. And at the time, let's be real, everybody had a mommy blog, you know? Um, so you weren't really thinking this is like a, a big thing. It's just something cool to document my family, share with a few people who might find it interesting. And Before then I had maybe like two partnerships and they were very, I still have, I had the bibs. I've, the UK company loved me even when I had my little 400 followers. So yes, I, I had the that. bibs uh, and then I had a cloth diaper endorsement from a very small business who gave me free diapers for me to pro, um, promote with my daughters in the diapers. And that was it. And then now we're here. So yeah, oh, that's, but that's such a beautiful story because you never know what's going to be the thing that gets you in front of the eyes that you need to be in front of. Because you were able to use that as a moment to basically springboard that into a much bigger conversation. And the other thing I noticed about your organization, Supernova Mama, is that you're very specific. You're not in a box, but you're also very specific in, the, in who you're targeting. Yes. Black and neurodiverse, and I'm assuming black neurodiverse families. Yes, and uh, it's usually and or. Because for me, it's, uh, it's black specifically it's black neurodiverse families specifically but i also want to help neurodiverse families period because they're the struggling they don't know the information mm -hmm. they don't know about their kids um and positive discipline is like a lot of people for some reason think that whoopings and spankings and yelling is a black thing it's really not actually if you go back to like 1985 like 
over 75% of America was whooping their kids. There was a big book that came out that told all parents to whip their kids and everybody Um, and so everybody was spanking their kids you know maybe they weren't doing the same type of beatings uh, you know the extension coordinate but everybody was getting beatings uh, or spankings (laughs) I was watching the Andy Griffith show and they referenced that a couple of times about going to the shed you know, yeah, so it, it's it's not a black or white. It's not a race thing. Uh, it was an uh, a big American thing for a while. It was everybody was? Uh, I can pull articles and everything because I always do for my classes when I'm explaining this. And and so, um, if you're whooping a child who's neurodiverse because they're having sensory issues, you're you're hitting them for something that they can't control. Right, and you're giving and them more pain. You're giving them more pain. They're already probably in excruciating pain, and you're adding more exactly. pain. You're basically just providing trauma. Like exactly. that's and, and that's what I often talk about too. Parents don't realize they're traumatizing or even re-traumatizing their children because we're not aware of how our brains and bodies work, and we're definitely not aware of how our children's brains and bodies work. There's no requirement to learn that before you have a child, right? Yes. And you know, and you said a couple of things I want to hit on because even the idea around. Um, spanking being American, being an American thing, it was very tied to religion. You know, mm-hmm. this idea of you know, um, folly is born in the heart of a child, and the rod of correction will drive it far from them. That's a scripture in the Bible, right? Yep. Um, you know, the repeated phrase "spare the rod, spoil the child," and it's quoted incorrectly. Right? It's not the even rod guides. So basically, you're supposed to be a guide and lead for your family. The guy, he wasn't beating the sheep. He right. wasn't beating the dog with the rod. Right. And that's the thing. I think that's the the interpretation that you're taught. So the thing about religious documents or just documents in general is, or any book really, or even your textbook, how you're taught to receive the information is how you receive the information. So if someone's telling you, oh, that's what this means. And the reality is growing up, you don't know what it means. We don't, most of us don't speak old English, right? Okay. And I most of us, when we were, I was like, "Why are you giving me? Why can't we get the regular English right. Bible?" But, even well, it, but that's the thing. Even the new translation ones, they have different interpretations, right? So people often misread and misinterpret things, or read interpret read and interpret things based off of how they were taught. Yes. Um, also, I, I guess the, I as, as a person who you know, and you probably have been aware of this. You've seen it, I'm sure. Um, and when I taught classes, so I teach trauma-informed nonviolent parenting. Yes. And one thing I noticed is that there's a different marriage that Black families have, and Latino families, I've noticed this too, um, but, I'll, but I'll say Black and Latino families have with spanking. That's different, though, that I've seen with white people in their relationship yes. with spanking. Yes. A lot of Black and Latino families see it as survival. Yes. It's not attached to even discipline because I want to hit my child. It's attached to if I don't, what will happen to my child? Yes, it is fear-based completely. Um, and that, you know where that comes from, uh, but we, you know, we don't talk about it. So I talk for about it. Let's talk about it now, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. talk about it. So for Black families, um, slavery, there were forms of discipline. That's what they were, um, to keep slaves in the position that they wanted slaves to be in and to work on plantations. Those discipline methods went from anything to whooping, uh, public whoopings uh, in front of the other slaves, um, to different sexual power plays of nature, to taking things from them, privileges from them, uh, to to splitting them up from people that they cared about. All of these methods um, that are that have been used, right? They traumatized us. We embedded them, and then we use them to continue to parent our children. We just do them in different ways. But all of those things. We do. You take things from them uh, when, uh, because you, you want to protect them so that the world doesn't take things from them. You beat them so that the world doesn't beat them. I, I, I don't get the punishment and close them in the house so that they can't be on punishment and closed in prison. You do exactly what you <laughs> don't want them to have done to them. And it's that's the thing. It's like, like that saying says, you know, if I don't beat you, the police will. And yes. I always say, if, I always repeat it back to people when they tell me that. I say, if I don't beat you, Massa will. And Massa might kill you. And I said, that's really what you're saying. And you don't realize that's what you're saying. 
And then my argument is always this: uh, the police are gonna beat me even if you don't. Like I don't, they I don't know. Checking, how they ain't checking for that. <laughs> Your mama beat you. So, and and I, I, I put those statistics up for my families and then try a little tenderness uh, workshop if, if that argument comes up. A lot of times, right now, the people that take my courses they want to know the information. But for me, eventually, the hope is to get to people who aren't receptive to the information to be quite honest um Mm -hmm. um and to open eyes and the first thing that i want i already always have on hand is the statistics baby and all these whoopers y'all giving we still get beat and And we still going to jail and the reality is so a lot of my experience working with families and children um is working with children whose parents have been incarcerated and also kids who are uh, incarcerated or kids who are in probation kids in uh, youth prison camps things like that and i can promise you almost all of them have been spanked in some Mm -hmm. way it, oh, was, yeah, I it wasn't, I can't think of a single one that didn't have a story about their mom or their dad whooping them. And I think a lot of times people assume that because they spanked their kids and their kids went off to college, that that's what got them into college, right? Um, they think that that's not even understanding there's so many other factors that correlate you getting into college that have nothing to do with that. Your kid got there despite the fact <laughs> that you were beating yeah. them into submission every day. And also a compliant child doesn't also, just because your child is compliant doesn't mean that things are okay. I also want to put That's that what I there. was going to say, because um, you beat them and they got into college. Whoop-de-doo. They could probably be miserable, not in the right field that they need to be in, um, because you beat them into compliance, right? You beat right. them into doing what you're going to say. That means a lot of times pe- these people, uh, the people that you raise aren't leaders. They aren't critical thinkers and they aren't problem solvers. And so when it comes to what do you want and what do you need to do for what do you need to do so that you can start the track to build the rest of your life? A lot of people are are clueless and hopeless because you didn't raise me to think on my own. You raised me to do what you say. Right. And I often you know what? I often talk about that even um, not just with parenting. I talk about that when I talk about schools. A lot of my work has been working in schools. And Mm -hmm. like I said, I'm from South Central Los Angeles. Most of the schools I worked at were South Central Watts, LA, uh, Inglewood. Um, I worked at a school in Redondo Beach and it changed my life. Redondo Beach is a predominantly white area, some Asian. Um, very wealthy, very racist, <laughs> by the way. Um, and when I went from working in the schools with black children, predominantly black, some Latino, the way that they talked to the children and treated the children was so different. So when I went, so when I worked in Watts, for example, I ran an after school program for Big Brothers, Big Sisters. And in the program, all my kids had to be in, uh, had to be in foster care, kinship care, or have at least one parent incarcerated or have incarceration mm. in the home, meaning like you'd be a big brother or sister. Right. And all my kids came from the Jordan Downs housing project because my school was across the street from those projects. So pretty much 80 to 90 percent of my kids came from those housing projects. And that's one of the most notorious housing projects in the city of L.A. Um, although now they're getting torn down and they're doing all kinds of weird gentrification shit. <laughs> Um, at the time as well, it was a gang war between the gang Grape Street at Jordan Downs and bounty hunters from Nickerson Gardens housing projects. These two housing projects have gangs and they're in war. When I say war, I mean, it was terrifying. The school was on lockdown. Oh my goodness. So the kids, this is elementary school and the kids could not play outside. Oh. And, um, yeah, it was, it was heavy. It was a heavy situation. Like I was at the gas station leaving work and shots went off and everybody had to like it was a really scary time in the lots, and my kids are experiencing this. You think that stopped that staff from screaming at them kids? Get in line, be quiet. What are you doing? Oh, I see him. I know how you act, Raymond. You just a bad. You just bad ass kid. You just a bad kid. No, I told you not to do that. These kids can barely play outside. They can't even go to the bathroom and back without being chaperoned. And And then people are surprised when the kids don't respect them. The kids don't want to be there. When the kids don't work. You're not respecting them. You're not creating an inviting environment. Why would I respect you and want to do anything here? Exactly. So now you have these kids who are all they learned this entire time. I got to obey authority or suffer. Yep. Despite the fact that I'm having this emotional trauma right now. Despite the and what usually happens is I obey authority and I still suffer. Exactly. So what that's another one. That's a, that's a key thing. Now, when yeah. I worked in Redondo Beach, this is a job I got because I was nannying at the time for a family. 
and the family really liked me and they basically wanted to put their older daughter in preschool so they told the preschool to hire me <laughs> they were like um we don't know we don't know y'all but we know her can y'all hire her and they did and they liked me and they hired me and it changed my life because it was the first time i worked at a school and kids weren't getting yelled at yep it was the first time I worked at a school and I did, and it wasn't, y'all stop playing with that over there. I'm going to just take it away. Never once. What we were taught to do, what they trained us to do, is you go over to the children, you teach them how to talk to each other, how to communicate, yep. how to take turns, how to get along, how to develop a solution. Because sometimes taking turns might not be their solution. It might be, yep. go ahead and play with it. When you're done, I'll come back later. Yep. <laughs> you know, Or it might be, you have five minutes, I have five minutes. But we teach them how to come up with a solution together. Yeah, I never yep. learned that yep. growing yep. up. And that's not what I was trained to do in my schools in black neighborhoods. Right. And we don't realize that's what we're, that we're, so not only are we getting it at home, it's being reinforced in our school systems with being staffed by black people. Yep. Because we're continuing what we're taught at home. So that's kind of the most, so this whole year has been me doing positive discipline in, with parents, um, but starting either in December or January, I'll be getting my certification for positive discipline in the classroom mm-hmm. uh, and integrating take, teaching courses to schools uh, uh, and, and, and implementing positive discipline, at least in my community, in the classrooms. Uh, mm-hmm. It'll probably branch out because I'm online. But, <laughs> but the, the goal is, is, to, is to do that because I've already infiltrated um, my daughter's PTO um, and talk, uh, doing an intro positive discipline class for parents uh, at, at the next PTO meeting. So, yeah, it's, it's you know, it's step by step, you know, you and it's person by person. And it's going to take a long time. It's, it's so implemented in our system. And, you know, you know what the main problem is, but you also see the little aspects, the little factors that continue it on. Like you said, uh, they're black teachers in those schools that are yelling at the black kids. Yes. Um, so yes, I can work with the parents that are willing to work with me and teach them positive discipline, but then they would still get it from school. So then I got to work in, in the schools and try to teach positive discipline and teach, and, you know, so, and it, it just goes on and on because then there's going to be people in the streets. So there's that grandma who's mad at the mom for treating their child like a human and it, it, it oh, just goes yes. on and on, yes. on always more work to do <laughs> you no know, no that's facts one of my favorite things is when i get parents who send their grand to send their parents to my classes yes <laughs> i love and, it and you know what the most beautiful thing is by the end of my, my series is about 10 weeks by the end of the series those grandparents are like i didn't even yep. know any of this in fact they're like i wish i knew this when I was a parent, kids, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but, but they yeah. get so excited to now treat their grandchildren differently, because like, most grandparents do that anyway, right? Like a lot of times you get the grandparents who like, like I look at my mom and I'm like, that is not the mom I had. Like, <laughs> I see how you are with my niece. What is this? I mean, we had to like beg for stuff, and my niece just gets whatever she wants, whatever she wants, right? But my I mom. Explained it as you know, I like there were six of y'all, and I had to make sure to protect y'all from the world and blah blah blah. And with with the hard stuff is y'all job. I get to be quick right now. That's what my mom stuff. said too. I get to do the fun stuff, right? It's so like, but it's but it's but it's such a beautiful thing to see um, grandparents learn the information, and because that now they can become the support for the parent. Because remember. Um, and you, well, I'm saying, remember, like, you don't know, like, you're, like, you're not an expert, you know this. Um, parents need support because a lot of times other entities are working against them, telling mm-hmm. them that they're doing it wrong, or yeah. your kid's going to just tr- walk all over you. How can your child talk to you like that? And, mm-hmm. you know, and because they're, 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 it's a different, you're in a different frame of mind now that they're not in. So when you have parents that you're, with your parents are supporting you in this, it's like an extra layer of, of inspiration and motivation to continue the work. It's some armor. It's some armor against everything else. Cause you know, if you got big families like mine, uh, I mean, I'm stubborn also though. So, but <laughs> I, I am, I'm pretty stubborn, but you probably had I, to learn to be, you said you had six, five siblings. I have, I have six siblings. My mom had eight siblings and my mom was the youngest. Oh yeah. So, um, my mom, the best way to put this, oh, y'all know I'm honest. So, my mom is oh is open 
and understanding with my positive discipline tactics with my girls, but there's a bit of ableism behind it. She thinks, I think she thinks that it's okay because they're autistic. Um, as oh, opposed to, I, I want to do it for all children. I think that she just thinks that I do that because they're autistic. Uh, but she's open to it and she's learning the concepts, right? Uh, but when we go to like family events and stuff and I have, you know, the isolation tin already packed and I got like, you know, the baby wearing kit to put someone on my back if need be. And I have, you know, all these tools and things that I bring because, yeah, I want to see y'all, but I'm going to accommodate my children and prepare their environment to be in this very sensory overloaded area with you all, right? Right. Um, and, you know, they'll make little snide comments and stuff like that. And then I'll either ignore them and just continue what I'm doing or I'll, I'll make a really uncomfortable comment and, and just look at everybody with the deaf stare and then go back to what I'm doing. It just depends on how I feel. But my mom, a lot of times, you know, will take off of me because she knows what I'm doing and everything like that, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, but like we're from Northwest Georgia. So my mom's taken up for me. Usually she's had like two drinks and she just be like, shut the hell up. You need so whatever. <laughs> Your mom sounds a lot like my mom. A couple drinks. Is, look, I, she got, she, she doing a positive discipline. I ain't. <laughs> my mom does that. She goes, no, no, she do the empathy stuff. I don't. <laughs> I like my mom. but yeah and then even with me like I I try to remind them like you know I'm practicing positive discipline with my kids but I grew up getting beatings from y'all so I'll whoop your ass like don't don't (laughs) my parents (laughs) I still got the look I still got that memory in my mind no, I still got it. for my kids, but I remember every ass would be y'all gave me, and I will beat your ass. Don't come to me a question. I'm an adult now. Don't. No, I love it. <laughs> but you know, it's interesting because you know it's something else that you said that we think that we're violent. You know, and I've heard mm-hmm. black parents tell me that. Um, a friend of mine told me that. Me and him still get into it, but that's that's my dog, so I'm gonna help him. And um, also, I feel like it's important, even if my friends don't always agree with me and don't do the things I suggest, yeah. that I'm still there as a support for them. And I'm there for the support for their kids, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of my parents, my, my friends are single parents, such as this one. And he told, he told me, he's like, yeah, yeah, I know all that science stuff. When people tell me that, I know they don't. Um, they haven't read anything. Hey, they ain't Googled a, a thing. I know all the, all the science. And if you ask them what that science is, they'll say, I just know it. Okay. And they'll okay. say, I know all that science, but I parent the black way. And I asked him, I said, why do you believe the violent way is the black way? And he's very, he's a political person. So he's very into, you know, I grew up with him as a community activist and community organizer. So Mm -hmm. he understood what I was saying. I said, why do you feel like that's the black way? Who told you that was you? And why, and and, and let's break this off even further. Why do you feel... People always say this. They say stuff like, you know, I'm preparing them because if they can do this, they can do anything. Mm-hmm. There are white people doing anything and they didn't get beat up. <laughs> right. We got some spankings. But this idea that we have that we have to beat for everything and prepare them for the world. And that's how they're going to be strong. Which is crazy. video that we both retweeted where the dad was basically gaslighting and tripping and bullying his child. And they're like, yeah, he going to be, he can get through that. He can get through anything. And it's like, I, I, I'm, I could be wrong, but I absolutely doubt that Tesla's dad was, was in the corner or tripping him up and laughing. <laughs> and he's able to do anything. Like, I, I, right. like, yeah. be, well, I, you know what I think it is because we've had it reinforced in our media and our education for so long that that's how that, how it works. That's how we were treated, and, that, and it was justified that way to us. And, you know, that same video you're talking about, so in the video for people who are uh, listening, it's a video of a dad. It looks like, you know, him and his son are racing and they're playing, which is a good thing. We love that. We encourage that. However, in, in the play, while, while they were playing, um, I don't know if the son, he didn't, he, oh, he, the son took off before the dad said go. Yeah, and so, uh, which, he, which in a way, I guess that's all this cheating, but it's a baby. He probably wasn't ready to go. He ain't care. I'm no numbers counting down. <laughs> that's how I look at it. Um, mm-hmm. But so he takes off running before the countdown was done. Dad runs. Who's going to win anyway? Because he's dad. He pushes to the, he, he may hit the door and run back, to, you know, by the little relay. He mm-hmm. pushes his son. The son couldn't be more than three years old. 
um, Mm -hmm. pushes him down and keeps running and wins the race. Son gets up very upset. He's screaming Mm. at the top of his lungs, stomping his feet, telling him you cheated. He runs. Mm. He tries to do it again. A dad says, okay, just go, go hit the door. Go run and get the door. It's like, why are, you, why are you crying? Go run and get the door. So the son tries it again, but on his way back, he falls and he's even more upset. He's, just, he's in hysterics. He's not having fun. Mm-hmm. Son even gets so upset, he, the, and it cuts it off. It looks like the son is about to hit the dad. Mm-hmm. It was very clear and obvious to me that it wasn't play for the son anymore. But mm-hmm. for some reason, people saw the video and had the response that you said. Like, oh, he's, gonna, he's teaching his son not to cheat. Teaching them to be strong. He's trying to teach them how. And I'm like, none of that. First of all, he's th- he's less than three. He's three or younger. That he's not learning any of that stuff. <laughs> he's not in that way. Um, what you believe you're teaching him, you're not teaching him. Maybe yeah. if he were nine or ten, you could say that. And even then, I question that. But there's no understanding of that at three. And that's why I said it's important. In fact, my comment wasn't even negative towards the dad. I just don't think dad knew. And that's usually how I approach it. Most of parents just don't know. I don't think dad was hating his son or was abusing his son or I don't think that was the intention. I think he was just trying to have fun with his son. He's having fun the way a lot of us have fun. And but the son wasn't playing anymore. And I think that's where dad doesn't realize to stop. And so that was my only point. We should learn how our brains and bodies work because we don't know what we're looking at when we see these things happen. And if I got red brain. There's, there's, it's, it, everything should end. It, 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 he was, it was obviously in red brain. That first. Exactly. Get up. Well, I, excuse me. I call it red brain. Uh, basically there are three stages that your brain, that we teach that your brain goes through when you go through a stressful or traumatic event or exciting event. So, um, for it, cause I do a children, of course I teach children. So, uh, red brain, we call it the dinosaur brain. You are in fight or fight or flight. Um, you are just needing safety. You need to know you're safe. You don't need any type of reasoning. You don't need any type of, you just need to know you're safe. And blue brain or water brain, as I call it, you're, cause you, you, you're leaking. You, you just feel real emotional, whether that be, you know, crying emotional or fuming emotional or mixed up. Um, and you usually need connection, either to tell somebody how you feel and release it, or maybe a hug, some type of affection. You need some type of connection. Um, and then we have what I call green brain is what it's known as. And I call it for kids, computer brain, because then you're ready to problem solve. You're ready to hear some solutions. If, if maybe someone wants to tell you, maybe if you did it this way, telling someone, maybe if you did it this way, when they're in red brain and they're in fight or flight, will get you punched in the face yep. or they will cry and run away yep. because I don't want to hear that right now. I, my brain is not in that capacity. If you tell it to me when I'm in water brain, if I'm crying and telling you how I feel and you're interrupting me and telling me what I should have done, oh, I'm going to cry and well, woe is me some more because I'm not in the capacity to take that. I'm still trying to tell you how I feel. I'm still trying to connect. Mm -hmm. You need to allow the process of allowing that person to feel like they're in a safe space then allowing that person to release how they feel and connect with you and then making sure they're good They've done whatever coping strategy they need, and then you can problem solve and talk to that person, which is what I computer brain or green brain executive brain function. I love and, that. It's, I've, yeah. seen, I've seen so many different variants of the trying brain is what they call it, right? Mm-hmm. So yours is uh, red, yellow, green. Oh, red. Mine is red, blue, and blue. green. I'm sorry. Red, blue, and green. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, look at the street yep. lights. Okay. Red, <laughs> red, blue, and green. Mm-hmm. Um, and computer brain, water brain, dinosaur brain. Mm-hmm. The way I, I teach it and the way I was taught it was reptilian brain, limbic system, or mammalian brain, yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, neocortex, right? Yeah. And then... Uh, learning what part of our brains primarily operate uh, out of based off of our age, right? So when we're coming yeah. into the world, we're primarily red brain because we're surviving, you know? Um, that doesn't mean the other parts of our brain aren't there, aren't active. It's just primarily this is where we're, we're in the survival part of our brain. Mm-hmm. And we're developing the other parts of our brain more and more. Um, mm-hmm. Then there's the limbic system or, or what they call mammalian brain because that's the connecting part of your brain, right? That's the part of your brain where you um, build connection, empathize, and, um, you know, uh, you, that's when you want the hugs and you want, you need that connection. And then there's 
the part of your brain that's more the logical part of your brain, which is in your cortex. That's where analysis comes from, your ability to um, plan and think. And then your prefrontal cortex, which is a part of your neocortex, is where the long-term thinking and planning come from. And that doesn't even really kick in until your, your brain is like 15 years old. 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> when they, when they, they're like, and I'm teaching him. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> I tell people. Oh, term. He gonna be able to know how. No, he's not. I had a parent tell me, you know, my kid is six, and he already knows what he wants to be when he grows up. I'm like, he doesn't even know what exists in the world yet. So, <laughs> I tell people all the time. You know, I thought I, I when I was six, I thought I, I wanted to be a lawyer. But you know why that was? Because I was in, I was being raised in an environment that only showed me about ten jobs. Right. And the best out of those ten jobs was a lawyer. If someone had sat me down and said, you know, you could be um, a person who teaches parents how to parent their children without trauma. I'd have been like, whoa, that's amazing. I want to do that because I got a lot of trauma. This life sucks. <laughs> <laughs> but nobody showed me that was an option. Or shoot, if somebody said, you know, you can, you can teach celebrities how to not get in trouble as a job and get paid for it. I'd be like, what? Yeah, you know, I didn't know that was a job. I didn't know of so many of the, you know, random, right. you can design, you can play video games if you work really hard and play them really well. You can just get paid to play new video games and test them out. <laughs> what? Sega <laughs> Genesis, because I didn't even know. On top of that, certain fields didn't even exist, right? Like, there was no positive parenting classes to take. <laughs> and Actually, there was. That's the crazy thing. Oh, there was. There was, like, one when she started up, there was probably, it was just her. Because <laughs> she didn't start up at that time when I was a little tosh and sick. But, but she was just in California. And, and her, of course, and California. Yes. <laughs> but, but yeah, so it's always interesting to me because I always, I always want to ask parents when they tell me that my kid already knows what they, what they want to be. What, what careers have you showed them? Right. Because. If you've only showed them 10 careers, I'm sure they know what they want to do out of those 10 careers, but that may not be who, who they want to be when they're 30. That's why so many people walk around lost and don't know what to do when they're 30. Exactly. Because everyone told you or taught, or you only knew certain things. You don't have access yeah. to certain things. Everyone yeah. told everyone told me I was going to be a politician. I never wanted to be a politician. For some reason, everyone was like, oh, you're going to be a lawyer or a politician. Um, so I like to argue and debate. I was on debate teams and stuff like that. I was, I was a political activist. I swear to God, we're the same person. Um, <laughs> I was a political organizer, political activist, and all that since I was like 14. Look, not even, oh my God, I swear to God. If you're me on like the other side of the country, I swear to fucking God. Um, and then I, I was in all of those programs. So you get, so you get oh, the church, oh, going to marches. All, all, oh, yeah, and he was in Georgia, right? You said? So yeah. that's like the home of like so much. So like, yeah. it's just, it, it's interesting because everybody has these ideas of who you're supposed to be. And they tell you all these things and then you do the things that everyone tells you. And then you wake up one day and like, yo, this isn't what I want. This isn't where I'm happy. I don't even like school. Everyone told me I was going to go to get my doctor's degree and I was going to do this. And do I don't even <laughs> like school. I've come to find out. lost it in law school? <laughs> listen, I, I barely made it out of undergrad. And the fact that I, and, and I say barely, they, the motherfuckers kicked me out of school. I had to fight to get back in. And when I got back in, even then it was still a struggle because I was also poor working four jobs. You know, like it was, it was, Stop doing that, because I swear to God, you saying... Hello, that's why I, person. I was in Spelman, trying to work two jobs, going to ball after class and stuff, and Same then still thing. trying to have fun, because I never had fun. Because you were young. Go to parties? Right. Because you're still young and on your own. You still want to live life, right? Yes, so, exactly. So I was trying to do it all, and it was not working. But I did, and it was on top of that. I never knew there was so. I had a lot of issues growing up, but because I was a compliant child, um, I wasn't the greatest student. I was never really a great student. I was just not a problem, <laughs> you know. Um, until I got to high school and I became more political, then I was a problem. Um, they didn't really like that too much because I was calling mm. them out on their shit. But mm. um, I. Went through a lot of my school years. I was abused growing up. So my dad was an abusive alcoholic. And I've shared this on the show. I teach this. I talk about this in my training because I don't have kids. So I have to often talk from my perspective of being a kid. So people mm -hmm. can connect. 
Um, so I never want to tell a parent how to parent because I'm not a parent, but because I know there's so much that goes into being a parent. Being able to take care of a person emotionally and physically is a very difficult task. Yes. Um, and, and to have to be responsible for it 24-7, even when they're not in your care, is another level of stress that I don't have. And I'm, yes. I acknowledge that. However, I have been a child in a household with parents who had been through so much trauma and were trying to parent under that trauma yes. and therefore passed on that trauma unknowingly. And I want yes. to change that. So that's where I always come from. So I share my story a lot. And my father having been a dry drunk, right? So mm-hmm. for people who don't know what a dry drunk is, a dry drunk is a person who is an alcoholic, but is no longer drinking. They're not, they're sober mm-hmm. now. However, they still have all the abusive tendencies of the abusive alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So they have more strength and dexterity, <laughs> but they still have all the abusive behaviors. So that's what I was raised under. Nobody knew that growing up. I wore a jacket every single day mm-hmm. and people thought it was a joke for me to wear a jacket every single day. I was also a child who was sexually assaulted, not by my father at all. I never want to put that out there because that's not true. But physically, my dad beat me. And I would have mm-hmm. to hide my body. Um, I was ashamed of my body. I, and people mm-hmm. thought it was just a joke. Oh, she's always wearing a jacket. Ha, ha, ha. And, but I was a compliant child. I wasn't a child who gave teachers problems. Nobody thought to look into what's going on at home. You know, yep. um, everyone just sort of thought, well, she's fine. You know, she's passing her class or she's not passing. That's fine. She's not a gang member. Send her to summer school and we'll give her an A and she'll pass without having learned a shit. <laughs> you know, um, that's what happens when you go to school in the hood. <laughs> they just don't teach you shit. And so yeah. I... But even regular schools, and that's something that I'm noticing. If you're bad and you fail, then people look into what's going on with your family. Right. But if you're just failing, don't. people don't really look into what's going on with you. No, I was um, failing, and it was just I was just a kid who, um, especially with the no child left behind, it was kind of like, well, she's a good kid. Um, just mark her up, or oh, she just do summer school, and we'll just pass her. Yep. But it's like, why is she failing? We're not gonna look into that. Well, my school also has over 3,000 students <laughs> and it was, it was only built for like 1,100. So um, I only know these things because like I said, I was a big time activist. I was so angry about all this shit. Mm-hmm. So my point was just that I went through this whole system of all these adults in my life. Some were great people in my life that were supportive and some people were assholes that I don't think deserve jobs in the schools. But through all of them, I got overlooked. Yeah. Because I wasn't a troublemaker, quote unquote, and I wasn't a superstar. I wasn't a stellar student. Because other than it, they put the straight A students on a pedestal, and the rest of us are just, you know, as long as you're not causing no problems, we're going to let you on through. And yeah. so I went through all of that. I went to community college. Thankfully, I was in a program that um, said if I went to community college and did what I was supposed to do, I got a full scholarship to USC, right? Um, awesome. It's awesome. Awesome program. Unfortunately, I don't think it's surviving, but it's a great, great program. And um, I went through the program. I did what I was supposed to do. Went to community college. But even then, not because I'm doing well there, nobody is noticing I'm having emotional issues. I'm not noticing them. I'm also not aware of what my issues were with school because no one's looking. No one's looked at it. I now know as an adult, I have um, certain anxiety disorders that inhibit my learning. And just recently, let's say recently, within the past few months, got my diagnosis. Well, the past six months got my diagnosis for inattentive ADHD. No one knew, right? I, I just well, thought I, I, me. I thought I was the only one that just couldn't sit and read a book, you know, for hours. I'm like, how do people do that? Watch a movie without having to pause it or rewind it or, you know, all that. I can't do any of that. Never have been able to. No one looked into that ever. So I'm struggling with school my whole life, struggling all these things, but I'm compliant. I'm also getting my ass beat at home, but I'm compliant. Yep. I turned to, I graduated from college. I did all the things I'm supposed to. Got my degree, sociology. That's what my dad was. He was a sociologist, or he he was in school. He raised, so he was um, studying sociology. That's what I learned. I was told that's what I was going to go into. Did all the things. Did all the things. Had a nervous breakdown at 25. Yep. <laughs> Complete nervous breakdown. So far, it, it, a breakdown that lasted for years mm-hmm. to the point where I ended up homeless, lost everything. You know, mm-hmm. um, couch surfing just to survive. And this is the kid with a degree who has so much potential, who's going to be a politician because I was a great speaker and I was active in my community and I was doing all the things and yet I can't even get myself to get in my car and Uber drive because I'm mm. just stuck. So I'm, I'm saying all that to say like all this gets overlooked and nobody looks at this stuff with our kids, with our black kids. All of our, it's not just me. This isn't just my story. I promise you, there's so many. You, I've seen you nodding. So I know you have. I was, was going to say, yeah, you know, I'm, I have autism. I did not get diagnosed with autism until six months, 
in mine is what I think I officially got my diagnosis in December. So, uh, so I was 31 when I got my diagnosis. Um, I was a gifted kid, um, but I was also a, um, I mean, my mom had, had six kids, was, excuse me, seven kids. I, and I was the oldest of those seven kids. And there was no husbands. There was a lot of fathers. And um, it was a tough life. Um, there was abuse. Um, and then initially I was continuing that abuse because I was a surrogate mother. And so in order to, you know, control my siblings, you know, if, uh, when I was younger, you know, I would whoop them and cycle continues and so on. And uh, I always, when I explain this now, now that I've done research and I've been getting diagnosed and everything, I know what was going on. I wouldn't necessarily say I was just complacent. I was purposely masking, um, meaning I would go into and decide who I was going to be in that classroom and how I was going to project myself to be so that everyone would be happy and fuzzy mm. and not ask about why I was wearing the same pants from yesterday or, mm-hmm. um, yes, about, yes. you know, about, um, what, what was going on with me, uh, because I would take their attention from that by being super smart or, you know, doing something that would make them happy. And so they wouldn't, wouldn't ask any questions. Uh, and so I just continued like, and even like, I was very big and major in my church, but same thing. I would make sure that I excelled and did amazing things in church, but you never know who's watching. Uh, so sometimes there, there are certain church people who, you know, I know and love now who they used to do things like give me, give, give clothes and to like, uh, it, it to me and stuff like that because they would notice, but they just wouldn't say anything to me. But I thought I was doing a really good job of just being who I needed to be so that people wouldn't wouldn't ask any questions, wouldn't bother or mess with my life. Because when another thing that a lot of black family parents do is when they say, you know, I have to beat you so you won't go to jail or so the world won't beat you. They also say that if you tell anyone that I'm beating you, they're going to split you guys yes. up and take you from me. Um, and so, you know, you protect the situation and to, it's because you don't want to, for me, uh, at the time, I, I mean, me and my mom have a great relationship. Now we've done a lot of healing. We've done a lot of therapy and everything. But at the time, I didn't like shopping. And, uh, <laughs> and I wouldn't really mind getting taken from her at all. <laughs> um, but I was very protective of my siblings. Uh, and and so I, I continued the cycles of things for my siblings. And so anywhere, anywhere, um, even college, uh, when I got to college, I have, I had, and I still have a best friend um, named Brittany. And when we got there, I realized I knew very little about the world and about people. And Brittany knew a lot about the world and about people. Um, And so when we would go to certain situations, I would mask um, and pretty much use her as my maskee. So I would act like her basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And it came to a head towards the end of my first, my freshman year. Um, and she kind of, you know, we, we were drunk and something major, something dumb, but major in our little lives of college freshmen had happened and we were having an argument and, you know, and she called me out and she was like, you know, uh, you always, you dress like me, you, you know, you try to tell me blah, blah. And I was like, uh, and she was like, well, don't you just be you? And I said, no, first she, she, you know, she said all that. And I said, well, you know, Brittany, I don't really, I've never been in these situations or around different people like this. So I don't really know how else to act. And she was like, act like you. And I looked at her with Ted face like, I don't know who the fuck that is. Uh, I don't know who that is. No, I feel that. I feel everything you say, I feel. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I, feel, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. I know exactly what you're talking about. Uh, so, uh, so, yeah. So, Why did she respond to that? I'm just curious. Uh, honestly, I think I walked up like, um, cause I, 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 I told her, like, I, I didn't, I didn't say, I don't know who the fuck that is. I remember I just looked at her. Uh, and she looked at me and I think that it was kind of communicated. We, we, cause she, she knows me. She does. She's like the only person besides my husband who's seen me without my mask completely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I looked at her like, and then, and then we walked away from each other and you know, the next day we came back sober and apologized and stuff like that. <laughs> but yeah, but, but it, it made me realize at that time, 
that I didn't know who I was. But then you get the you get the idea that nobody in college knows who they are, right? Everybody's finding themselves, so that's okay. So that's what I told myself at that mm-hmm. time, right? Mm-hmm. And then I got into the military because I couldn't afford filming any uh, for the second year because uh, I lost my scholarship because I was working jobs and trying to have fun and party and go to school and it's hard to and had autism and some procrastination because I wasn't being perfect and I didn't think I was going to be perfect on that paper that's going to Spelman, which is such a great institution. So every paper has to be perfect. Anyway, we didn't get into that because then we're going to go into a neurodiversity and autism conversation. We, we, can get in, okay, we can get into that. In fact, what I want to do another episode of this where we talk specifically okay. about that because one of my co-hosts actually has a son who's autistic. Okay. And so he wants to be joining. He, unfortunately, because of the time frame, he wasn't able to join today. But yes. I wanted to do something specific around um, neurodiversity and because... I think there's so much we don't know, especially in black families, and we don't have access to it. Everyone just tells, our, tells us our kids are dumb or bad or, you know, yeah. have behavior issues, and no one tells us what's going on with us. So I definitely yeah. want to talk about that. But I'm sorry. Continue. Absolutely. So, so we, we so, you know, I, I go to, to military, and unfortunately, the military is a great place for a person who has autism that manifests like me, can mask and, and excel. Um, for one, um, there's routines, continual routines. You know exactly what you're going to do every hour on the hour. Um, for two, there's a lot of working out and, um, and controlling your body and to making your body do things. That's a way that I, that helps relieve my anxiety, working out control, those different things help relieve my anxiety. And then unfortunately, because I come from an abusive household where I was used to people yelling at me to motivate me yelling at me and, 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 and physically uh, hurting me to motivate me is what I was conditioned to do. So joining the military helped with that. And so when I got there, I was amazing at it. Um, and then they continually train you. So the military, it's annoying to a lot of people, but you do a lot of the same things over and over again because they want the training to be second nature to you. So as a person who does that in everything in their life, because I'm not good at stuff initially because I have... Uh, I don't have that well of gross motor skills. I have vision impairment. Um, you know, the, I, my dexterity is off. Uh, and so I, everything I do, I do it multiple times. If I can't, I will pre-drive to a place uh, before anybody else gets in the car, like my children and stuff, so that I make sure I'm familiar with the route so that I drive there again. I do everything. I train myself in almost anything I do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was trying to train myself to have my baby. So... <laughs> <laughs> I really do. Like I was doing pre, like straight squats <laughs> and movements on the ball and everything. So like, yeah, That's I try so to train funny. myself in everything I do. So in the military, you do the exact same training at least, at least um, eight times a year, um, and it rotates, continues because you're doing multiple trainings, right? You have to do so so many trainings, and you're doing them like eight times a year, and they're just rotating on the calendar. It was perfection for me. Mm-hmm. It was. Uh, it was me being a professionalist at things. So it, it helped my perfectionism. I was great at everything. And so once again, I was just being super soldier and not me. And so then. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to be you. Because the thing about mil- yeah. being in the military or any militarized space, even sometimes even teams, right? You're yep. a unit and you're, that is your face. That is your I was going to say, they make you mask. That was the next thing I was going to say. So neurotypical people mask in the military because you're one unit, right? So you can't, everybody has to wear the same haircut, men, and the women all have to wear the same ponytail and you have to wear the same uniform, right? And you can't talk about certain things that you might have differences about, like politics or religion or anything like that, because we're all the same. So you can't talk about those things. And so on a basic level, unless you invite these people onto your house, you're all the same and you blend in anyway, right? Right. So perfect for a person who is neurodiverse but doesn't know they're neurodiverse and, and want and needing to mask and from a place of trauma and abuse. Perfect. I right. thrive. And then <laughs> if it wasn't for my own political beliefs, I think that would have helped me. So I, I like routine. I like knowing what's gonna happen. I hate surprises. Um, well, I like knowing what's gonna happen. And I'm also motivated through fear and, you know, I'm a procrastinator otherwise. So yep. I'm the same. And But just politically, my, my family was pretty 
My granddad was so hurt. Um, my grandmother was a Jehovah Witness. He wasn't, oh. but he always supported her in it. And so he was so hurt. And I didn't want to tell him, like, granddad, it was this or, or the strip club. Like, I went to the interview with the strip club. I was feel uncomfortable. So I did this. So it didn't I don't work know. for you. <laughs> Look, I had two options. One of them working. <laughs> That's how a lot of, and just for the record, this is actually how a lot of black people end up in the military. It's not because we just love America so much, right? It's because we definitely feel like, you know, we need the money, we need the job, we need a place to, I don't, I have friends who literally went because they had no place to live. They had nowhere to live. Yeah, it gives, it has, it doesn't even pay that well, but it has amazing benefits. I'm still reaping the benefits of being in the military. And I think that's why we Mm-hmm. for a lot of benefits. Uh, and, and so it's one of those things where I don't regret the decision because of the situation that I was in, but I will make sure with everything in my power that my children never make the, have to make the decision. Mm-hmm. That's the thing. It is what it is. I had to do it because of what my life was and is, but I'll make sure that nobody else has to do it that I'm close to and care about uh, it with all my power. And the way That's that you... In the way that you parent and the work that you do, it almost would seem that they would be almost, a, you know, averse to it. Like I couldn't oh, even see myself saying that nobody parents are proud. You see how this joke is? And that's kind of what I'm. I was trying to say that, <laughs> but essentially, I don't see your kids just being able to, you know, live in that sort of environment where they'd be getting yelled at and talked to crazy just to accomplish some goal that has nothing to do with them. Right. Absolutely not. Right. <laughs> Somebody yells and yelling, Riley, is she's gonna burst into tears and not know what to do, or she gonna pop you. She does fight or flight. You know, my niece, um, she's both of her parents, because they're full time entrepreneurs, they work from home. Mm-hmm. Um and or they in their office. They have an office, but it's like literally like walking distance from their house. So they can be home at any moment. And um, especially since COVID, my, my, niece is, my, my niece is five now, but she doesn't go to typical school. She has a, her own private teacher, her private tutor, because they're, um, I feel like I'm a very, like, political family. They don't even want, my brother doesn't even want to put my niece into a regular school because of our experiences in school. In school yeah. And um, one of the things that I thought I think is really dope about my niece that we didn't have growing up is she, can, she, she says no, and it means no, and her mm-hmm. parents respect it. And I don't yep. even think it's because they even want to. <laughs> I'm not going to lie to you. I don't think it's because they even want to sometimes. I think they just know it ain't going to happen. <laughs> so anything short of like, for example, there's nothing you're going to make her eat. It's, it's, you can beg her. You can do the airplane noises. You can put it. You can mix. You can put peanut butter on it. You can do whatever you want to it. She sniffs it. No. <laughs> she still look at it. If she sniffs it, you might have a chance. But if she sniffs it and she still don't like it, it ain't happening. And anything sort of tying her down and stuffing it in her mouth, it ain't getting in there. And it's something that when I was a kid, I was too afraid. And I told my, my my brother and my sister-in-law that all the time, I said, you have to understand, that's a good thing. You want that. Because that means that she, you know that there aren't other adults that are going to force her to do things she doesn't want to do. And I was going to say, there are times I put things I absolutely did not want to put in my mouth to please people just because that's what I grew up. You, you, you say thank you. So yeah. I have eaten... Let me see. I, I went to visit um, my husband's best friend's mom. And she is, I want to I want to make sure I'm doing the right island. She's from Barbados. She's Barbadian. And she made this chicken feet soup. And y'all, I, I knew I wasn't going to, I wasn't going to like it by the, by the smells. Not because it's chicken feet, y'all. Listen, I'm from, I'm from Georgia. I was about to say, don't try to get like squirrel. If it tastes right, uh, I'm not, but I'm not, but I can smell from the spices and I was like, but I didn't want to, I've grown up with this, you don't disrespect your elders thing. Mm-hmm. And so she put the soup in front of me and I took the sip and I did not like it. And y'all, I'm not going to kid I can't eat the whole bowl because she was looking at me and she's there and she's an elder and she's, a, and I'm just like eating a whole, and it was, everybody did not enjoy it, was revolting. I just ate, I just ate, but I've been trained to do that from my childhood on. Now, baby, a lot has changed. <laughs> I know a lot more about myself. I'm a lot more confident in myself. I'm a lot more confident in my differences and my quirks and stuff. And 
no thank you <laughs> alright y'all so that is the end of part one go to again patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two be good <laughs> <laughs>